everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, Volume 4, Issue 156. You can play along with Cane and Rinse Volume 4 and our forthcoming issues include the Skylander series, all of it so far, a million toys, uh, and Tony marshalling uh, a group of guests there. Then it's Nights into Dreams and Christmas Nights, of course, and that's when we go into our Christmas and New Year break. We return with the uh, the continuation of our Silent Hill series, Silent Hill 3, of course. After that, it's Spelunky. And then we continue our Wolfenstein series with Return to Castle Wolfenstein. It's a bit complicated. I know how we're doing things at the moment, but uh, just bear with us. Head to com for the full schedule, as well as the blog, of course, uh, with articles and features and other things. Links to our merchandise store, which is mostly T-shirts. Still time to shop before Christmas, maybe. Uh, we also have a popular Facebook page on which we share news and other things. We have a Google Plus doohickey and a YouTube channel, which stars mostly Darren Gargett and his quick rinses, but also the occasional surprise. Also, we now have a sister podcast, you may be aware. It's called Sound of Play, a recent iTunes video games charts number one. Uh, there are three Sounds of Play out now. Um, with a fourth imminent, I believe, at the time you'll be listening to this. Uh, So please subscribe to that and this, and rate and review us on iTunes as well. Marvellous. So, joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Darren Gargett. Um, I am Drumstick. (laughs) He sort of says it, it's like it's sort of stuck in his throat, doesn't it? Yeah, or he's a bit unhinged, I can't really work out which one it is. Well, he's a bit of both. Uh, And Carl Moon. I'd better not mimic Taj, so, hey guys. You're like a, I reckon you were a, a Timber the Tiger man. Hmm. I did like Timber. A- acid acid casualty uh, eyes. <laughs> right, just one game. Uh, it's got a f- fairly simple um, backstory, but uh, what I suppose what interests us most is the way that you can trace this game, Diddy Kong Racing, this 1997 a rare game back to an early ultimate play the game title uh chris and tim stamper one of their 1983 cassettes and a rom cartridge uh for the spectrum they, that you could do that via the interface to uh transam uh, i remember this was one of the first games uh i played round spectrum owning friends houses it was a top down sort of buggy racer kind of thing then uh some years later um, on the NES when where Rare really sort of um, got going in the console market after already wowing the particularly the UK or European computer market uh, I I think I'm pretty sure that RC Pro-Am was a follow-up to Transam in mm. you know in, in the sense of it was another top-down racer obviously we'd gone from a post-apocalyptic uh, you know moon buggy type thing to a to a remote controlled uh, car on a track but there were similarities now what's the connection with Diddy Kong Racing well it turns out uh, Darren here um, you found out that uh, this Diddy Kong Racing was once known as Pro-Am 64 yeah and this only came to me recently via Christopher Siva also known as uh, Conquer himself on Twitter yes. He posted a picture saying, um, oh, I've still got these T-shirts lying around. I better keep them just in case. And it was a picture of Pro-Am 64 on a logo mm. on a T-shirt. And I was like, I don't remember ever hearing of that game. Googled it. 
Turns out, yeah, uh, the game was once a uh, Pro-Am 64, and then my motto come along and said, how about making it a Diddy Kong racing game? I, th- I think they gave them the choice. It was either Donkey Kong racing or Diddy Kong, and Rare chose Diddy Kong because it was their creation. Um, so that, and Figures. Then, yeah, Nintendo were like, yeah, good choice. And uh, yeah, so they, they collaborated on that uh, decision, and yeah, it went, it went from there. So yes, uh, looking on the excellent uh, www.unseen64.net, uh, there's some more history on that there. If you want to check it out, um, apparently it wasn't uh, it wasn't known as uh, Pro-Am 64 for very long before mm. uh, before Nintendo said let's make this a you know a, another carty racer. But I suppose it must have been an interesting internal decision because obviously at that stage uh, Mario Kart 64 was out and about. They had their their now you know. Um, they're, they'd created this this genre basically with Super Mario Kart. Mm. Um, other games were starting to follow. We'd had Street Racer, um, and I'm not sure we hadn't had Crash Team Racing yet, had we? That was later. Um, but the the whole cutesy carty character combat racing genre was was up and running. So I suppose it was interesting in a way that Miyamoto himself said, um, "Make a make a competitor such as it is for Mario Kart on the same system." Yeah, according to recent uh, interviews with Lee Musgrave, one of the um, guys on the team, he pretty much said that from the get-go, the game was meant to be a competitor to Mario Kart, but also completely opposite, and that completely yeah. reflects the game design, you know, <laughs> so, being a complete yeah. single-player, um, well, not a complete single-player experience, but uh, heavily favourable in that um, single-player uh, mode. Well, that's interesting because, um, yeah, uh, you know, the probably the main criticism levelled at Mario Kart 64, even over the, its its only one predecessor at that point, was the complete lack of single player content that you could polish through in about an hour mm. or two hours. Whereas Diddy Kong Racing gave you this massive, really rock hard campaign. Um, but on the flip side, and we'll get into this later, the multiplayer, uh, not talking about the co op here, but the competitive multiplayer was sorely lacking. Or it was it almost deliberately hamstrung so it didn't compete with Mario Kart 64? Mm. I wonder. Anyway, so the director on this game was, uh, is it Lee Schooneman? Is that how you say it? Yeah. You're an you're ex-Rare employee, as, uh, as yeah. we've said before. Um, he is, uh, he, I think he got involved in Rare around this period, probably, because, um, well, I don't know, uh, but his, his credits on the Giant Bomb page go back only as far as Star Fox Adventures. Hmm. Um, but it seems that he's still, or has been involved still at Rare until recently because his last credit on there is Connect Sports. So I guess he's, uh, he's certainly survived the, the jump to Microsoft. Um, he's worked on multiple Viva Pinata games um, and uh, Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. And Jetpack Refueled on Xbox Live Arcade. Mm. And Diddy Kong Racing DS, more of which later. Mm. Uh, Chris Stamper produced it. Uh, Kevin Bayliss was the main artist and also the voice of Diddy Kong. (laughs) Uh, And I'm not sure about any of the other characters uh, at this point. We may look into that. Uh, And the composer is David Wise. Was David Wise. We'll talk about the music later. Um, But we recently featured uh, one of his tunes, which is a collaboration from his return to uh, Kong territory with uh, Tropical Freeze. Mm. Uh, Some stalwart work. So this game came out 
in uh, what was a heady year for the N64. Um, and towards Christmas, November 1997, uh, all around the world, uh, just a couple of weeks apart from the North American to the European release. Now, I, I always uh, I count 1997 as one of the sort of the vintage years of gaming for me. There are so many amazing games came out that I love from that year. Um, and the N64, because it had been delayed over here, we ended up getting kind of the first year and a half of the N64 in the UK was ridiculous because mm. you just you were just getting you know obviously from Super Mario 64 at the start and uh, some other you know maybe slightly wobblier titles but we also had Pilot Wings and Wave Race and Mario Kart 64 and Lilac Wars and GoldenEye all in that first sort of six seven eight month period um, and it was a very expensive time because these cartridges were you know 50 to 60 quid a, a pop um, but yes, I bought Diddy Kong Racing day one. Having seen the reviews, uh, mainly I think the review in N64 magazine, um, my history with it, was it with, I played it a lot, um, experimented with the multiplayer, which didn't go down so well. I had a little bit of co-op play. I know Carl played a lot more co-op. Um, and then got to a point, as many people did, uh, right at the end, or what seemed like the end, against the final boss, Whizpig, where I just couldn't do it. It was just too darn hard and frustrating. So I traded that cartridge in at some point towards something else. But then, uh, must have been about two years later, uh, or maybe a year and a half, I bought it again, a second-hand copy, um, I missed it. I missed the levels I did like. I missed the music. I wanted to play it again. And one day or over like a couple of day period, I sat down and I played it through. I got all gold balloons, all 47 gold balloons. And then straight after I went back in and did all 47 platinum balloons. And I still to this day consider that one of my greatest gaming achievements because it is really, really difficult <laughs> Um, I'm not always the best at driving games. I mean, I'm decent at Mario Kart, but um, yeah, this was this was a toughie. Uh, Darren, you were the the N64 importing man, as discussed before. Mm. Um, did you wait for the? Did you wait two weeks for the EU release of this one, or did you get it from America? I remember this being um, a Christmas present <clears throat> for me. Mm. Uh, I, I remember that black box sitting on a shelf. You know, because the N64 games in power were—I don't think this game was boarded, but I remember Pilot Wings being boarded. So I always found it ironic that the boxes were also boarded. It was just like—is that an insult yeah. to us? No, the rare games were tended to be much better optimized because they yeah. were developed in in the EU. Yeah. Mm. So I remember seeing that box all cellophane up. It looked like a giant packet of cigarettes. I don't, I don't know why that 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 seal <laughs> around the box just reminded yeah. me of. But it looks so just you know tempting just sitting on that shelf and every week my mum would play off a five a five and she would just you know chip away at that for oh. weeks and weeks and weeks until Christmas came along <laughs> and yeah it was the you know the start of an adventure on Christmas day did you get to the Christmassy levels on Christmas day that's the main oh, I'm, I'm, I can't remember but I'm fairly certain I would have just sat there and, let's say you did yeah. let's say you did yeah <laughs> um, and did you did you 47 gold balloon it and did you 47 platinum balloon it oh uh, yeah absolutely it was one of those things I still remember now me and my friend Will also known as Kip online um yeah, we, we remember sitting in this front room playing that whiz pig uh, course, and he was like, "No, Darren, you can do it." And I was like, "I can't do it, man." So we had, we, went, we went for something to eat. We came back, and we just it must have been like four in the morning, and I just uh, it was just it was just over and over and over again. And he's one of these guys that will just keep telling you. He'll point out every single nuance between it. He goes, "Well, there's only one zipper on the right. From then on, it's middle left, middle left, middle left, middle left." Yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah. "Oh, okay." So he, he knows. He was kind of like my uh, my rally co-driver, <laughs> mm, mm. like Nikki. 
Grist or Grist, his name yeah. was. In, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there is a kind of key to winning this game, which we'll talk about later. It's something that I only discovered when I bought my second cartridge, but it's absolutely crucial. Well, it was in my experience anyway. Uh, Carl, what about you? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one for me because it was technically a Christmas game for me, but my father, who obviously I was thirteen at the time, he he went out and got me the N sixty four at launch, and then he, you know, we sort of drip fed games throughout the year. He got me like Golden Eye, and then he got me Lila uh, Wars, and I remember mm. that Lila Wars was also going to be a Christmas present, so I thought that was me done for the year, and then hopefully I'll get Diddy Kong Racing at Christmas, and then it came to one weekend, and he said, look. Do you want another game early? You can you can choose a game that you want for Christmas. You can have it early. And I remember thinking it was between Duke Nukem 64, Tomb Raider mm-hmm. 2, mm-hmm. and Diddy Kong Racing. Mm. And I pondered on this for the whole day that he was at work, because it was a Friday. And I remember thinking, I'm going to get Diddy Kong Racing. Um, I think it was primarily because it was the most expensive of the lot. <laughs> I, thought it would be, I thought it would be better to get that now. And, oh. you know, maybe, maybe if Tomb Raider is a little bit cheaper, I might get, you know a second Mm. game at Christmas because I was a selfish 13 year old and so yeah we we went out, we went to uh, our local game store in Middlesbrough and picked up a copy of Diddy Kong Racing that night and I remember being so excited I actually remember sort of bouncing in in the queue because I I just remember it being so ridiculously busy hopping from foot to foot and I was yeah, literally bouncing around with excitement hmm. waiting to get this game home and play it because like you mentioned the, the Nintendo Magazine reviews were incredibly favourable towards it and it was quite unusual for me because I was never a huge fan of the likes of Street Racer I was never a huge fan of the likes of Mario Kart hmm. I don't particularly like kart races even now I bring up yeah. a, a, a fuss on Twitter when people say oh are you playing and I've got like Mario Kart 8 and it's the same thing. I've just never really got on with kart races throughout my life, but for some reason, I was so excited for Diddy Kong Racing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it looked uh, it looked amazing in screenshots as well. This was, you know, Rare's uh, you know era of these absolutely sumptuous looking N sixty four games, which at the time, you know, the, were offering a level of polygon graphic that mm. the rival f- formats just couldn't do you know they, they they had a solidity and a richness to them that the the playstation and the saturn weren't weren't able to mimic um which you know com- more than compensated in a lot of in the case of a lot of games for a lack of say you know cd music or fmv sequences or whatever um the reviews were uh positive overall um game rankings uh, obviously this is going back a long way um it's uh, collated 20 reviews and it has an 88.65 average percent uh, which is uh, 20 something higher than the Diddy Kong Racing DS re-release which we'll touch upon later um, and according to VG Charts which is our, our one and only but not necessarily entirely reliable resource for such things uh, Diddy Kong Racing cartridge on the N64 sold uh, 4.88 million copies worldwide which again for an N64 cart you know not the most popular console ever but you know, as I say, we were we were right in the um, we were in its in its peak era, halcyon days here, ninety seven to ninety eight, and um, yeah, the reviews obviously helped sell it. Um, yeah, nearly five million copies. Uh, other than that, DS release, there's been there's no way you know other than you know illegal emulation or whatever. There's been no other way to play this game ever. There's it's not been you know for obvious reasons, it's not been re released on virtual console or anything like that. Um, so if you don't have an N sixty four um 
you can't play it legally unless you play the DS version, which I think we'll discover later is probably not worth mm. not worth your while. Let's start with those characters, though. Um, I do remember, I do remember um, N64 magazine, the future publishing one at the time, um, which had morphed from Superplay, ended up as NGC, and ended up as something else. Um, they were quite. Uh, irreverent about the characters in this game um, so obviously you've got Diddy Kong who you know from my point of view was never never the coolest <laughs> character in no. the history of video gaming um, I mean his his own history is quite complicated because he w I mean the whole Kong thing with Rare <laughs> and Nintendo is 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 a minefield um, it's not quite like the Legend of Zelda but it's um, there's there's uh, there's questions as regards to parentage and <laughs> things like that <laughs> Um, but Diddy Kong, there he is. Uh, you know, he's kind of that epitome of the NAF 90s cutesy character in a lot of ways. He's mm. got the baseball cap and he does high fives and all that sort of thing. Um, and then you've got, so characters of note probably, you've got Banjo. This was his debut, right? Yeah, because Banjo-Kazooie wasn't around till 98. Banjo-Kazooie yeah. was originally touted for 97, which would have made for a crazier year. But yeah, yeah. it got delayed. Yeah, it was... Um... I, th I believe that this was intentionally put out there, wasn't it, as a as a further advertisement to actually sell Banjo because mm. it had been announced, had been shown, um, and that was sort of Miyamoto tried to tie the two in as, you know, this would lead into the Christmas release and obviously it got delayed six months. And also in Banjo-Kazooie beta versions and Donkey Kong 64, there were pictures of Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong in each game. So there, mm. And apparently there was like meant to be more stop and swap ties between the two series. Um, oh, but, you know, that, that's all wow. kind of... I swept under the rug now for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, you've got Conker. This was Conker's debut as well. Uh, was that right? Um, Conker Twelve Tales was sort of like I don't know if it was announced at this point, but I'm sure it wasn't too far away where you saw the cutesy platformer, which then got turned yeah. into the horrible nightmarish yeah. comedy game. And the Game Boy one wasn't too far after that either. So I'm sure we'd seen him in other screenshots, maybe. But yeah, again, you know, the first time you definitely heard him speak. We were expecting, again, at this point, we only knew Conker was going to be another cutesy platform star. We, we knew nothing of his, mm. uh, his debauched ways <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> uh, so you've got Crunch, who is um, sort of related to the traditional um, Donkey Kong Country baddies, I assume, because he's sort of reptilian, hmm. you know, crocodile-esque. Yeah, he's uh, one of uh, King Carole's spies in the game, isn't he? Okay. And his right. name begins with a K, so... You know, it's and uh, originally, apparently, he was supposed to be called Crash, with mm. a K. Mm. And for obvious reasons, Bandicoot came out that yeah, very, that changed very year. To crunch. Yeah, was that ninety-seven as well, wasn't it? Crash Bandicoot yes. one. Yeah, it was. Okay. Um, you've got then. Um, yes, I mentioned Timber earlier with his bizarre expression, with his <laughs> tiny pupils. He does look like he's absolute. He's at a rave off his face. Um, bumper the bumper the forgettable badge, uh, badger. Um, <laughs> Uh, Pipsy, the really, I mean, that that was clearly rare just taking the mick because she's got <laughs> the most high-pitched voice uh, in the history of, of video games, um, obviously deliberately over-the-top cuteness. Uh, drumstick, uh, the unlockable um, rooster. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, um, really could never get to grips with handling drumstick. I think he was the sort of Dave Mariner of Diddy Kong Racing, wasn't <laughs> yeah. he? Like if you could if you could handle it, it he was the fastest until yeah. you unlocked TT. But it was it was tough. And then my my selection was uh, as as I believe with uh, David Turner, formerly of Joypod, was tipped up um, because he was somehow the character I found the least annoying, um, <laughs> who I could still control. Did you ever? Like once you've got TT unlocked in this game, you have to be TT yeah. because that's the way you, that's the way you win the game um, on platinum, especially. Um, but did 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 you chaps have a a go to character like I did with Tip Top, the uh, turtle? I wasn't completely in love with Banjo at this time because I didn't know who he was. So I think I think I played as um, oh, I think I played as the bumper mole thing, which you know you never saw ever so, ever again. It's a badger, not a mole. <laughs> that's how that's how forgettable he is. <laughs> That's um, how, how good at natural history you are. <laughs> yeah, no David Attenborough, I tell you that. Um, yeah, and then after that, uh, I, I got to know Banjo, and I started playing as him instead. And I just love the fact that they're all standing there with little billboards in front of him, kind of like kind of like touting for business. Like, yeah, I'm. Like, Could you pick me? Pick me. They're all dancing away, and you <laughs> and you select them once, kind of like Super Mario Kart, and they they do like an animation. In Super Mario Kart, they'd spin around, and then you select them again to confirm it. Um, but in this, it's like they say their name, and then when you back out, they make a noise to you know resemble what you've just done. Like I'm Pipsy, uh oh, and you're like, oh man, it's such about a- fifteen octaves higher than that. <laughs> Definitely, um, but yeah, once you got the the clock, who has the um, the awesome is it celebrate good times sort of rip off tune? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah is that so cool once, in the game? once you unlocked yeah. him, I think that's the first time where I noticed sort of like weird copyright. I was like, is that is this celebrate good times? Come on, like is there's that- a bit of that. There's a bit of that in this game. Yeah, definitely. yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was I was always the clock after that. Once you managed to get him, yeah. I mean, as as with Mario Kart, obviously it followed the uh, the the template of um, different characters with different sort of weights and handling. Carl, did you ever? Did you ever? Was it was it Pipsy for you? <laughs> no, not quite. Um, although when I play kart races, I always tend to choose either the most comically large character in yeah. a kart, uh, so the likes of Donkey Kong in Mario Kart, etc. Are I choose the most ridiculously small character. Mm. So obviously the likes of Toad in Mario Kart. And in in this, I actually chose Banjo. Um, I always liked the look of him. Obviously, we didn't really know him as a character until the following no. year. But I did I did use him in this, and then obviously TT towards the end of the game. But it really is amazing when you look back on it and just how many forgotten or forgettable or thankfully forgettable characters there were in this <laughs> yeah. game because they're pretty terrible for the most part. And I always like, I always tend to imagine like a, a scenario like the Toy Story movies where all the characters actually get together when you're not watching. Yeah. And you can imagine them all just sort of chatting, going, mm, "There's a banjo, yeah. The star. He was in the, all these other games that people know about. And, Sell out. Yeah. yeah, they don't know me. <laughs> all these ridiculously." forgettable characters where you know even years yeah. later people who love these games you can show them pictures and they go i have no idea who that is yes the the, the bin the you know if we if we did do cane canes and rinses cane and rinses that that weren't on solo games i think uh, uh, an issue that was just on a bin of forgotten mascot characters <laughs> featuring bubsy the bobcat era the acrobat uh Ch- chester cheetah anyway blinks uh, blinks yeah and so on and so on um, this game also uh, treated us to uh, what would become something of a, a rare uh, trademark, especially with Banjo-Kazooie. It had a, 
sort of fast edited musical opening sequence um, where the the action was you know took uh, took advantage. This this is where the N sixty four took advantage because mm. because this was running in real time, but it's flipping between you know different bits of memory off the ROM and showing you different areas of the game like on the fly, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got actually sort of thematic um cinematic or 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 maybe more like televised races kind of shots of the carts going past and it's showing off the 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 many different locales and the planes and the hovercraft and all that and um yeah and i mean that that music as with so many of david wise's tunes in this game is still absolutely locked in my head as soon as i watch a video of it or anything it's just yeah i know every every single last note but even though you know it's the usual story i was 25 years old when this game came out you know I was you know a lot of this was more at a point when people would have been more likely to be saying oh you're too old to be playing a game <laughs> like this you know with these cutesy characters you know looks like a, looks and sounds like a children's TV show um, but I loved it I loved the idea of going into this um, this big world this adventure you know it's like I, you could just you knew it would based on Ultimate Play the Game and Rare's history and the fact that this was a Nintendo game you knew that everywhere was going to be stuffed with secrets and little little treasures to find and and things to things to seek out and do and and the hub world was um something that we'd never seen before in a in a racer like this or i hadn't anyway yeah and the 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 carts hovercrafts and planes you know um, motif for this game was was brand new for you know racing in general i think i think we've only seen it once since with the sonic and all stars go-kart in transformed number two game that i can't really remember the title of <laughs> yeah, I don't, close rem- enough. I don't remember any other games doing that kind of, you know, having levels purposely built for three different types of vehicles. And it's a shame that the multiplayer didn't really take off, pun, uh, with the, <laughs> you know, with four of us because <laughs> you could choose different vehicles and like race each other, one one in a plane, one in a hovercraft, and one in a, you know, in a car. And I think was- that was maybe one of the problems with it in a way, in that it yeah. was, in, it, they couldn't balance it. Yeah, and I always, I always kind of felt a little bit disappointed the fact that the, the races were always standardized like you know this is it's a cart race you know and, and and it's a plane race there was never a mix i always kind of wanted them to be you know people up in the air and people down below but then yeah. you know, you've got a whole balancing problem with the weaponry yes yeah um but yes i've enormously fond memories of just spending quite a, a large amount of time just buzzing around the hub world um particularly in the plane and this also had the uh the excellent feature of the music um, segueing between areas mm. uh, again, which was something that we saw in Banjo Kazooie, and and it wasn't it wasn't an entirely new idea, but it was it was so cool the way you'd go from the fly through the tunnel from the you know the s- sunny uh, grassy mm. area into the the frozen caves and the sort of sleigh bell sounds come in and stuff like that, just really atmospheric and charming touches. Mm. I was watching a video though of. Um, of glitches uh, for this game, and I mean, it's 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 funny. It's striking me at the moment. Um, obviously, we've we've had a, a lot of at the time of recording, in the run up to Christmas 2014. There's been a lot of high profile releases with a lot of very high profile bugs, glitches, game breaking problems. Um, but actually, uh, virtually every major N64 game was released in a shocking state <laughs> in, yeah. in, in the sense that, like, yes, you could play through them and you might never um, you might never experience some of the, you know, the clipping issues or, or whatever. But if you found them, if you knew where they were, these games could be absolutely torn apart by mm. by by, um, you know, 
players who are invested in in doing that sort of thing and um yeah this this game you can you can complete it in about five minutes if you know where to clip through the landscape <laughs> because you can go to the final boss from the start yeah. um stuff like that now you know that's that's better than like current bugs such as losing your game progress on a legendary game of say mm. halo um or something mm. like that um but uh but yeah this this there, there's a lot of kind of broken things in here as well but I kind of love the legacy of these these N64 games with, you know, Ocarina of Time. You still people doing these world record speed runs by hopping backwards through the game and jumping through the scenery. Um, yeah, and Diddy Kong's got plenty of that going on. See, uh, it's a lot better if you see it like me, that for games that you genuinely love, they're not bugs, they're features. <laughs> well, that's how, yeah, that's how they market. <laughs> and on new games, they're just <laughs> bugs and glitches. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Assassin's Creed's got a lot of features this year on this. <laughs> yeah. So, well, weirdly, the challenge uh, is set to you. Uh, I don't think it actually specifically says at the start, but it is odd. 47. 47 gold balloons. Mm. A prime number, not a round number. Why 47? Or did they lose three races? Or <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. It kind of feels like maybe they had a world, another world put in there, but they, you know, time restraints or whatever, they had to stop it. Because, like, 47 is just such a, you know, again, it literally is an odd number. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I believe that there are actually unused balloons that are actually cut from the game. There's ones yeah. with like, their faces on and stuff like that. Yeah, stuff like that. So perhaps uh, okay. just the additions of those would have rounded it out to, say, 60 or something mm. like that, which even then 60 is kind of a strange number. But Less less strange than a prime number. I mean, yes. they could have just put three more floating about in the hub world. I mean, <laughs> just to make it up to 50. I mean, mm. why not? But. It it really doesn't matter. It's just always struck me as a it's a, it's another sort of um, you know a unique distinct feature about Diddy Kong Racing. With Diddy Kong D uh, Diddy Kong Racing DS, sorry, um, they mm. they sort of went for the opposite approach, not with balloons, but with just uh, collectibles in general. And I feel like this is probably the best way of doing this game. It's just like we got forty seven, just just leave it forty seven because yeah. the, the DS version has so many other collectible bits and bobs. Mm. You just think I can't be bothered getting all these. And yeah. uh, it, there's like bits of tree you have to get in the DS one. There's bits and bobs of this and that. And you know the, the 64 version has its own set of collectibles, but they felt right. Whereas here uh, in the DS version, they kind of feel just arbitrary and uh, yeah, too much. Hmm. Yes. Let's get down onto the track then. So uh, I think the game starts you off with. Uh, does it start you in the dinosaur area? I believe. Yeah, Dino um, Domain. Dino Domain and uh, starts you gently in a cart as well I suspect mm-hmm. um, yeah uh, the, the the thing I recall about the circuits I mean there's there's quite a lot of them throughout the game and they you know they I think in a way they were they were ahead of their time in the sense that a lot of the things they were attempting on those tracks are the stuff that you now see in the, in the Sumo Sonic transformed game or or Mario Kart 8 in terms of on track features you know live events happening mm. i mean Mario Kart's been doing this for a f- quite a f- quite a few iterations now but that sort of you know suddenly weaving through a dinosaur's legs or um you know flying under a bridge or i don't know stuff you know stuff that proper features whereas Mario Kart up to this point was uh, was you know very much about racing the circuit obviously they were fantasy circuits but Rare kind of brought all this um, theme park style uh, spectacle. Mm, I think you had Mario Kart 64 had the train on Calamari Desert and you had the, the chain chomps sort of coming towards you. But yeah. they didn't feel as, 
I don't know. Maybe the train on Calamari Desert did feel like natural, but like the the dinosaur in Dino Domain just felt like an like an actual obstacle and something that would constantly get in your way. And if you hit him with a rocket, it'd speed up and make a, an angry noise. And he kind of felt like he he belonged there, even though he was walking around in circles many many times. The uh, the bananas floating on the track in um, sort of bitmap sprite form were they or were they polygons? No, nah, yeah, there were sprites, they were sprites as, as well as the wheels on the go karts because they couldn't make yeah. rounded uh, wheels like yeah. that. So they had yeah, sprites. Yeah. Um, they sort of acted as um, as the coins do in in most of the Mario Kart mm. games and uh, collect up to was it 20, ten or twenty in Diddy Kong to get up to maximum speed. So fairly crucial stuff. Um, Balloons on the track. This is where um, Red kind of did their own thing. I mean, the the picking up the floating item to get a weapon had already been done. But the perhaps the most interesting thing, even though whenever I whenever I think of Diddy Kong Racing, I think more of the the actual driving of the cars than the weapons in mm. this game. They, I I don't think the actual set of weapons was tr- tremendously interesting. But the feature I did like was the way that if you picked up a particular weapon, say a missile, you could either use it as it was in stage one form, or you could go through another balloon and double it to a, a more powerful uh, version, yeah. and then and then up to a, th- a third one. And that was... Was that true of each of the, the weapons, or was it only the missile? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They had a, yeah. So for the missile, it was you know regular missile, homing, 10 shot, and then the boost mm. was different stages of boost, and then you had the shield and the, the, the slip, um, the oil slick, that then oh, turned yeah. into a mine. Yes. But my problem with the weaponry in this game, and they did change it for the better in the DS version, is that you could okay. easily overwrite them by picking up another balloon. So you, yes. you'd, you'd, save, yeah. you'd save 10 rockets or missiles, and you're like, right, I'm going to save this just in case I get overtaken. I'm just going to spam these uh, missiles just to take down this guy who's overtaken me for first place. But then you'd accidentally bump into a, a radioactive shield th- uh, balloon. You're like, no, this is just... Oh. And because you're in the plane sometimes, it, those planes can get a bit um, unwieldy uh, during the crazier courses in future Funland. So you end oh, up gosh, just like... Yeah. You know, you end up just losing um, your ten missiles unfairly, I think, and it's good to see that they actually made that change for the better in the DS version. Yeah, I mean, these games, um, obviously, you know, combat-y kart games live and die on a couple of things, um, and I, I feel like the weapons weren't the strongest feature of this. Um, the handling is the other key thing, um, and obviously, to complete the game with forty-seven platinum balloons, I got pretty good at this game um, with with at least you know a couple of characters um, they went for a slightly different sort of model to the you know the, the controversial thing that Nintendo did with Mario Kart 64 was adding in the rocking of the controller to give you a boost and it's now you know completely standard and it's in it's uh, it's in in some form in most of the Mario Kart sequels it well, obviously it wasn't in the SNES original and there's a similar thing in uh, in the Sonic games but this had um I guess it was like somewhere between the hop and drift of Super Mario Kart and the the sort of stick leaning of Mario Kart 64, but it had a feel of its own, didn't it? There was a lot of... The, the key sensation I remember of Diddy Kong Racing is going round corners on two wheels. And I think that was partly the... Um, because because the polygon you know the polygon count was high for the high for the time but low in real sense there were a lot of really quite angular lumps and bumps in <laughs> in these tracks that would that, that that could really you could come a cropper on mm, yeah definitely especially in the um greenwood village level there's some hills that just slow you down and you know a hill should slow you down but not by that much you kind of feel it's more of a geometry issue rather than a you know a level design yeah. fe- a feature but yeah so the 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 cut in the um you know, the actual cart in itself, it feels kind of 
bit not slippy, but a bit loose, I guess. But from from just like left and right, I was playing as drumstick, so you have got that to contend with. Yeah. Uh, um, but then you hold down the R button, and it, you can sort of take corners even That's wider. It. Yeah. And then you hold down R and A and B at the same time, I think, and you sort of do a brake turn, which then puts your cart on two wheels, and that that became uh, my yeah. go-to sort of thing, along c- coupled with a boost. Always have a boost. So when, when you turn the corner sharply on two wheels, just boost out of it, and you're, yeah. you're you know you're a winner. Yeah, that's that's a huge key. Um, but I think the, the the greatest key to winning the game is uh, it, it lies the secret lies in the zippers. Mm. I think they were officially called. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah zippers. Yeah. So they are uh, boost pads on the ground, which we'd already seen in previous kart games, certainly. Um, but in this game, obviously, they're not just on the ground. They're also uh, hoops on the water and and rings in the air, depending on whether you're hovercraft or plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the key technique to beating the game is releasing the accelerator Mm. a long time before you hit the zipper Um, so this is probably like equivalent to the with Mario Kart 64 rocking the stick on a corner until you get the uh, different coloured V coming out the back of your Mm -hmm. cart knowing that the different coloured smoke trails out the back of your (laughs) Diddy Kong vehicle and knowing how to how long to release the accelerator for to get the biggest boost once I'd got that and that's when I went back to the game and got to the, some of these previously horrific bosses and if not unassailable bosses once I worked out this technique that it changed it was a, it was a total game changer yeah these, these zippers are it, like you say it was a game changer for me um when you go through it naturally you just hold them down the A button you realise there's, kind of, there's a bit of a pause and a bit of a wind up and then it lets you through the zipper but if you were to let go of the accelerator and go through you'd go through a lot um, you know a lot cleaner a lot smoother yeah. and there were so many benefits to doing it and when you're fighting Whizpig it becomes like a rhythm game on the controller like yeah. you know you, you let go and then you accelerate again and yeah it is um it's one of those things that you found out in magazines and stuff like that, and it was just like, what? What do you mean the colour changes didn't smoke? I don't that was the it. best part about games of that era, was, you know, you could be playing a game for three months and something will pop in a magazine, you go, huh? Hmm. I never noticed that, and you go back to it, but it was something like the the ability, the way that you boosted and drifted and went two wheels and used the zippers and stuff in this game was far better for me personally than than something like Mario Kart, where, you know, you, you wiggle the stick or you... you hit the bumpers to, to sort of wobble because I've never been able to get that technique down mm-hmm. um, and that's maybe one of the reasons why I've never quite got onto Mario Kart that and the fact that I hate being taken out first place by nonsense <laughs> which yeah. just you know I, I, it's I, do, understandable. I do have a point yeah I, I do have a, a controller launching point yes. and even Mario Josh Kart does, se- you know. Mario Kart <laughs> seems to hit it quite quick yeah 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 um, and and something like this was far that. better. And and of <laughs> course, I I had the ultimate weapon when I played it because I actually played it in co-op. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about this because um, this had this great big. Uh, well, you know, it's generally referred to as this is the kart racing game with the great big single player campaign. But it wasn't just a single player campaign. No, it had this incredible sort of co-op where you could do everything you wanted to do in in a single player with a friend, and this was great for me because I had a friend who he never owned an N sixty four, but he really loved playing it, and I would regularly play the likes of GoldenEye and and of course Mario Kart sixty four and and many others with him. And when it came to this, the original 
way that it was marketed was that it was a single player game so yeah. it sort of caught me by surprise when there was this co-op feature and then you start thinking well it'll be sort of its own little mode or just some of these daft little battle arenas or something yeah, yeah. um no offense to mario kart 64 no, there no, um, which which were actually quite good in that game um and i would have that moment where i would start to get a bit stressed out you know i was 13 years old Hormonally, it wasn't great when something started to, you know, drive me mad, and all of a sudden I realised that my friend, who wasn't so much into the racing side of it, because obviously I'm a huge racing game fan, um, I like the idea of, you know, if I'm racing the best, I win. Yeah, yeah. He was more, if I've got a weapon, I'm going to shoot anything and everything. So I was like, okay, well, you can sort of be my, you know, number two, and <laughs> we'd start every race, and I'd shoot off from the line, and. He'd sort of just turn round 180 and on the next lap he'd be meeting all the eyes and, you know, yeah. I'd give him the forewarning, I'm next, I'm next, don't shoot, don't shoot. And he'd be like, I'm on the left-hand side. So, <laughs> you know, I'd shoot by and then all of a sudden he'd just hit murder and murder everyone and create the gaps. And, of course, it's a bit, it's, a, it's cheating, but it was hilarious cheating. It was the best kind. And, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd have these in, incredible bouts of laughter where the most ridiculous things would happen and... People would zoom all over the place, and it was sort of undersold. And nearly everyone that I ever talked to, when I talk about Diddy Kong Racing, did not play it like this. And mm. I feel that this alone is the reason that I absolutely adore Diddy Kong Racing. When I have a history of not enjoying kart races at all, and yeah. I'm a big fan of co-op, big fan of racing, and this sort of allowed me to do both and left the kart side of it to my friend, who and I was suppose it far also more that had- way inclined. Yeah, sorry. And I suppose it also had that element of, even though it was a kart racer, it also had the element of an adventure, you know, a 3D, mm-hmm. um, you know, you'll collect, it's like a collect up in some ways. And, and yeah, I mean, you've, you know, you've got these trophies you're going for, but ultimately you unlock the next area, you unlock a spaceship, you go to space. There's kind of, there's a real sense of um, progress with it. Well, that, that was the brilliant thing is that I'm someone who also loves collecting stuff in games I'm, I'm one of those sick people that when people go oh this game's got too many collectibles I'm like oh oh that's interesting <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, you know 200 that, pigeons <laughs> two, got them got them loved them um, and this obviously it had the balloons it had the key and it had all these other things that you're trying to find and one advantage was that if my friend was going around in reverse he'd be like oh I think I saw something yeah yeah, yeah. you know oh I think if I'd make that jump and then go through that window and across I might actually be able to find the collectible oh I'll try that on the next lap and and, you know we'd have this sort of real like you said an adventure where he might find something or I might find something and and when you played it in co-op he could contribute to finding everything that I could so it sort of became that we were both playing this brilliant game because there was a lot of content I mean stuff was obviously mm. cut that we've mentioned there was a lot of content to this game oh, yeah. and you know when when you can sort of do it with a friend it sort of really opened up and those, those, just some of those evenings spent laughing with a friend uh, as you know uh, uh, memories that you sort of never forget the, the same kind you know when you've got eight friends round and you're playing Mario Kart and you're handing the controller over and you're having a laugh and you'll always remember that part of it more than say the races that you ever actually did have that was all of Diddy Kong Racing for me. Yeah, it's funny. I, I can't. I, I do remember giving this a go with with my friend Pete, who's been my sort of Mario Kart friend for you know since the since the N sixty four one really. Um, 
and we definitely gave the competitive multiplayer a try on this thinking you know this will be fun a variant of you know the game we've already played to death for six months as it turned out we went on to play it to death for another two years Mario Kart 64 or more possibly yeah probably quite a lot more thinking about it um, but we definitely did have a go at the 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 co-op but I can't remember why it didn't it didn't grab I think maybe it was that thing where there was a too much of a disparity between our ability or something so I think yeah I mean we weren't we weren't necessarily trying to do it the way you were doing it Carl with where somebody's playing we used to play uh, Super Nintendo Super Mario Kart like that because it was actually you know kind of really really helpful in a game that is utterly unforgiving and (laughs) deliberately completely unfair and it certainly makes sense to do it in Diddy Kong Racing because even though I did ultimately complete everything on my own, it was punishing, you know, punishing at points. And to to make it a laugh with a friend, it maybe, you know, you could almost be forgiven for thinking that maybe Rare had that in mind when they set the difficulty of this game so high. But if that's the case, why was the, the co-op feature so under-advertised? Mm. May, I don't know. I mean, the... Is there a frame rate issue? Like, um, the main game doesn't... Like, if you look at it now, it doesn't run very fast in terms of frames per second. It's quite... You can... You know, it's not unplayable, but I think it would be a barrier to stop people going back to play quite a lot of games from this era. I'd say it was probably... I don't know, 20 frames, maybe 15 to 20 frames or something like that. Kind of flip-flops depending on what's going on on screen. Yeah, yeah. It's similar to sort of GoldenEye, isn't it? When you play it in one player mm-hmm. and then you got the four-player split screen, and oh. in those days, it was the fun outweighed. Yes, you know the misery of the, of the lack of frame rate, but <laughs> yeah. it's sort of you can't really do it now. And it, I, I still own my copy of Diddy Kong Racing in the same way that I, I've got all my favourite N64 cartridges, yeah. um, and I really wanted to replay Diddy Kong Racing before doing this show. I, I genuinely did, and then I recalled the quick rinse that Darren did and it sort of a little bit of me died inside that day when I watched that Um, subscribe to our YouTube channel folks (laughs) (laughs) it's just amazing that you know when you see like is is Turok one and you see you know the Diddy Kong racing ones and certain consoles age you know you look back at the old you know we're doing the 20th anniversary of playstation and we're all looking back at the screenshots of games that we thought looked incredible and they didn't but the n64 had this thing where it blew everything away in 1997 and it was just beyond our wildest dreams visually of what we could have ever expected and it was incredible to play those games at the time but i think as a result it hurts more now to watch uh, N64 games for me with the blur and the mm. the really low fidelity textures mm. and the shocking frame rate than it does any other machine in in the past going back yeah. uh, way, way back beyond the spectrum and for that reason alone I couldn't bring myself to replay it so this is one of I think this is only the second time in the history of Kane and Rents that I've actually done a show purely from my speaking from my memories I'm also than, than actually replaying it. I'm also operating from memory because I don't have uh, any way of playing it. I w- wasn't in a position to either want or afford to buy the DS version. So, mm. um, but I felt like, um, from my point of view, I've got incredibly vivid memories of playing this game. Um, yeah. I've certainly done a lot of you know refreshers, um, but because I played it to the point of ultimate completion, um, 
yeah it's just it's really really stuck in my mind and even watching um somebody playing those uh excruciating future funland levels in the <laughs> plane later on um it was just like yeah i can still feel the muscle memory mm-hmm. in you know that bit where you go down the pipe and oh, then up yeah. the other side <laughs> down the canyon the star wars canyon and, yeah. and all that yeah. it's still it's still there because i probably had to even even though ultimately uh i worked out that boost technique or maybe i did read it somewhere i don't know but um you still had to practice and practice and practice mm. over and over again yeah. I, th- I think you're right leon i think there is something to maybe something where muscle memory does become a, a, a fact in a game somewhere where you totally zone out to the point that you're just staring at the screen and things are happening yeah you know your, your hands you're not in control of your hands but they're doing all the right things yeah. Yeah. I think those are the games that you do tend to remember so vividly that that even years later you remember yeah. stuff that you wouldn't in any other number of games that you've played. You know, there are games I've played right. in the last two years that I don't really remember, yeah. and yet I'll watch someone play. Like I was watching Darren's Quick Rinse, and you, you can remember the the direction that he's going to turn, even in the hub world, mm. uh, and the the change in the music, and you remember mm. all this. It's really weird. That's. Pr- Partly strong track design and stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. The tracks are really charismatic, I guess. Like they are really identifiable, and uh, I don't think any of them are, are boring because they're sort of they're a, f- a fine uh, yes, line of like um, you know tricky in places, but like easy in other places. It's yeah, they're really well designed. But replaying it for this show, you know, any excuse to play a rare game again, especially from the N sixty four period, was a no brainer. So I bought the Japanese version just, just just to see what it was like, and it turns mm. out it's no different. It's just got Japanese text everywhere. But uh, yeah, again, like straight away, as with GoldenEye and you know Perfect Dark and stuff, like I immediately knew how to play it, and I immediately knew what I was doing. And I got to the final Whizpig um, race, not you know the, the second one where you um you know you get the the TT amulet and that door opens and you can fight him again on a plane. And uh, going back to the graphics being pretty rubbish, like there were like columns that just led into nothing in the in the, in the sky in mm. the space, and so there's no skybox, there's no ceiling, and they're firing out of nowhere just laser balls at me, and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. It was like <laughs> it's like a half finished level, like in beta or yeah. something. It felt really unfair, and things were just shooting me from walls that didn't have like um you know a, a, a notification, a visual indication that I was going to get shot from. It just felt like Wizpig was just destroying me from every angle when he wasn't even on the screen he was like two corners <laughs> round beating me laughing ha ha you like oh god I, I, yeah this boss fight was doing my nothing yeah and by the way you know we've already mentioned Wizpig several times but all the bosses up to Wizpig were pretty horrific as well I, I remember particularly the is it the octopus that's that yeah. spews bubbles out and ho, that ho, can ho. stop you <sighs> yeah, because you yeah. fight him once, and he's he's, he's all right once you work him out. But those logs that spin around on the water, like you have to kind of go with the grain, so to speak. Um, you yes. know, so if they spin in a certain direction clockwise, you have to go on the left hand side and anti clockwise go on the right because otherwise they will just totally destroy you. You can wave race them and go underneath them and over mm. them and stuff like that, but um, for the most part, they will you know turn you into a, a fool. I wanted to talk specifically about the handling of the other vehicles as well, actually. Um, let's uh, talk about those hovercraft, because obviously this was a pretty major feature for a game to, to have, you know, now in, in Sonic Transformed and whatever, it you know, it's really it's really cool when you're flying through and you transform and you go in the air and all those Sega theme levels and all mm. that. But back in, back in 97, um, you know, we're just getting to grips with having a new N64 kart game, and then suddenly it's throwing... Um, 
yeah, planes, planes and cars. Are you cars with inflatable tires, mind you, that can go on the water? But <laughs> this was um, so. Uh, Wave Race sixty four came out in uh, in our territory in about May, I believe. Um, yeah. It was a, it was around the same time as Mario Kart sixty four. One one slightly preceded the other. Wave Race sixty four is one of my all time favorite video games. I absolutely mm. love it. I can still play it even uh, even now. Obviously, it is starting to look its age in a way. But the feel of it, the feel of being on the water is uh, still astonishing, mm-hmm. I think. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the water in GTA 5 is, you know, at points like photorealistically stunning. Um, Wave Race 64 back in back in that day was jaw dropping. And I still love the feel of that game. And, the, the, you know, there's only like six, seven, eight tracks and they're all or courses and they're all just perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I still want a, a real sequel to that because the GameCube version just just didn't light my fire in the same way. But playing Diddy Kong Racing on a hovercraft just a few months after Wave Race, and the fact that even though the water you know the water tech is not anywhere near on the same level, but the fact that it looked and still felt really good, it had that it had it had a good sense in its own cartoony way of being on on a different surface surface it wasn't just like well it's just a different graphic for the car and the water's just a track it you know you had like darren said you could dive you could dive in a bit and the cornering the cornering was completely different in yeah. there i mean they were more like rubber rings than um it was more like playing tubing or something <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um you could stop if, if you hopped too much in a, in a hovercraft you would stop dead so again a huge part of the skill of the game was actually remembering which vehicle you were controlling you know in terms of muscle yeah. memory yeah and there's a lot of nuances to the other vehicles other than the go-kart like the plane had the barrel rolls and the loop the loops which play, mm. playing it recently for this podcast I had a future fun a future I can't remember what it's called future fun land or whatever the space zone yes it was the last race I think it's the one with the, the sort of the army music and it's, it's got the Star Wars chasm and it's got the uh, the tunnel and the um, just basically yeah. all, all the hard things in the game were in this level yeah and it was the silver coin challenge yes. and uh, it was the last lap on the last corner it was the last coin and I missed the coin I was like oh no but I remember double tap the R button and oh. hold it down I looped and looped picked the coin up went back Beautiful. down shot the guy with a home missile and took first place I was like that is what gaming's all about to me and I, I jumped off of my beanbag and went yes even now like <laughs> Diddy Kong Racing still got it for me it was like it was yeah it was a wonderful moment amazing yes uh, indeed those um, those silver coin challenges uh, we, we must talk about those there this was where you had to not only uh, negotiate the track and did you have to still win the race I think yes, you did, you did you, yeah. Yeah, you, that's yeah. right that's why it was so so like the the keys did you have to win the race if you got the no, key or did you, you no you, you just quit the main menu and then you get the cutscene of the key unlocking the multiplayer That's arena right. yeah and then you see that it. was that was i you know i like that the, the, you would have to uh, as carl was saying you know keep your eyes open you might see a glint of spinning mm. polygonal gold somewhere and then then you have to work out like there's one you have to hop off a hop off the drawbridge on the hovercraft yeah, and stuff to get um, the key and all yeah. that sort of thing occasionally you'd have to go off the beaten track but these silver coin challenges you had to collect uh, six or eight silver coins, eight, eight dotted yeah. around the track. But n- of course, especially um, especially later in the game, they were not on the racing line. And the racing no. line, as we've already established, was hugely dictated by the zippers. Mm-hmm. So not only the cornering of the vehicle that you're in and your ability to use the drifting and the, the skippity-hoppity braking thing, but the silver coins would be put in the most or like you know like between two polygons of tree roots yeah. or something like that and then you'd have to and you'd still have to fight your way back in the first place mm. it was a it was 
it was fun to a point and it was one of those <laughs> things where you I found that it was um ultimately it obviously was worth doing because the reward was so great but there were so you know so many foul words being mm. shouted towards rares designers during those silver coin challenges it's a lot of trial and error with that um i found that the best way was to learn lap one and learn when the coins are and then just restart it and get as many coins on lap one as possible and yeah. then go through it i love it when you get all eight coins and tt i think goes go for it it really puts that pressure on you and you're like oh mm. god i've actually got to go for it now um but yeah the silver coins are located in the later levels like in shortcuts you weren't even aware of you're like where's the last one and then you like you oh, you'd end up just yeah. cruising around um you know just the level just to see where it was but luckily i, I feel like other I feel like this game could have done it a lot worse because um, the, the laps are only about 30 seconds long, maybe 45 at a stretch. And so re replaying three laps never takes longer than two minutes. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's quite a short experience. And you know, that also adds to the stress and tension of it all. But also yeah. re replaying it isn't much of, um, of, a, of a chore as what it could have been. I mean, it's, they were just so utterly brutal. Yeah. In, in their design they were obviously made to frustrate you and it's it's another one of those scenarios where I like to imagine the designer sort of late at night the office is dark and the screen's lighting up his face and he's <laughs> just laughing maniacally that's that's the tribal bears <laughs> yeah, the tribal bears in Jet Force Gemini yeah that's like the ultimate silver coin challenge ever oh but yeah, yeah maybe um, now as I recall Again, um, fairly good record, uh, recall, but not 100%. So the platinum balloons, uh, was it an entirely mirrored mode? The it was, yeah. Platinum balloons? yeah. And were the silver coins in the same places, or had they been remixed? That's I, one thing I can't remember. I, you know what? I, I, I never got past WizPig 2 on this mode, and I can't remember, but I seem to remember being some different. Maybe there was like a, a logo change in them or something. There was something different about them, for sure. I, I, I can't remember. But yeah... Um, yeah, it was harder. It was, it was anyway, definitely mirrored, so therefore maybe it felt different in location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, God, that was tough. That that's proper, you know, clammy hands. Yes. Pad throwing, swearing, <laughs> cursing the mothers of. And the, the problem, of course, was that those controllers weren't exactly the most sturdy of things either. Didn't take much for you to break the joystick. Yeah, I no. never got through one actually, but yeah, they were they were quite well known and um, for yeah going. Having all that chalky white stuff come out the, um, <laughs> yeah. come in the inside. And... I know a few people who lost a couple of C buttons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost, I lost a few to um, Jaws on Aztec Double O Agent. So yeah, there's that. Uh, yeah, yeah rare and notorious for their end game being ridiculously hard. And uh, you know, there's there's no change here with um, Diddy Kong Racing. Even if it is just like a sort of copy and paste mirrored mode, it was still really good fun to do so. Yeah, I mean, a good a good game copied and pasted and mirrored is still. More content, game. isn't mm. it? It's, it? It alters, like you say, you've got that muscle memory of playing mm. it, and it, and it does feel different because you're so used to to the, the little turns. Because obviously, the way that all the vehicles handle, you're so used to getting it right one way that it becomes totally alien the second way, and it does feel like a whole other game. So mm. yeah, that that whole end game was fantastic for for how much there was. Mm -hmm. I was motivated to to go through it again, and I think as much as anything, uh, even though I ended up punishing myself by doing those later stages and the silver coin challenges in future Funland and the final whiz pig and all mm -hmm. that um it was for me it was an excuse to go to revisit some of my favorite courses which which actually most of them were probably in the first two-thirds of the game and yeah if i'm really going to boil it down uh diddy kong racing does have uh 
along with Banjo Kazooie, even though it's a it's a different team within Rare. Um, some of my favourite Christmassy levels yeah. in in gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, we we were talking just before we started recording about um, how David Wise uh, appropriated certain familiar uh, <laughs> <laughs> festive themes such as Winter Wonderland and just changed them enough. Um, but use very familiar instrumentation and and um, arrangements to, and again, I know we always have to say this when we're talking about an N64 game, but this was a console without a dedicated sound chip, um, and you can hear that um, the sample rate is not especially high. Everything's a bit muddy and murky. I think mm. if you listen to it now, but um, I loved loads of the music in this. Not just the Christmassy stuff as well. There was the uh, amusingly. Um, Indian takeaway style music, yeah. as we used to call it, on the, the Hot Top Volcano. That music's my favourite on that track. Hot Top yeah. Volcano is my favourite, despite the Christmassy stuff being uh, great on um, yeah. Everfrost Peak and stuff. Yeah, Hot Top Volcano is a, is a standout for me. It, it just sounds it just sounds spot on. It doesn't sound like anything else either in mm. in gaming. Really, it's no. um it's unique. I mean, those those vocal samples are, are you know possibly a little dubious, as with Tard Elephant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but I I think let's 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 broach that elephant in the room. Um, I think Taj was not made with any uh, malice intended whatsoever. No. I think it's um, it's about as sort of it was ill judged. I think by having an obviously uh, English accented white person <laughs> yeah. uh, v- voice, it's it's in the same way that the BBC never show it ain't half hot mum now for for very good yeah. reason. Um, and Taj the elephant was was clearly not meant to be an offensive stereotype um, or, or caricature, but. It just has the ring of unpleasant seventies comedians about do, doing horrible racist Asian jokes um, in that sort of a voice. So even though I think it's sort of harmless in itself, um, it does make you go, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's you get the same sort of thing when you watch a Tom and Jerry cartoon now, isn't it? And you you know you see the uh, the maid, yeah, yeah. the maid, and yes. You're like, oh. yes. Um, now and Rare uh, addressed this faux pas um, when the game came out again in two thousand and what year was it? Seven. Two thousand seven. So ten years. Mm. Ten years later, they revoiced Taj. But in what way did they revoice Taj? <laughs> in like the most polar opposite uh, way <laughs> possible. Yeah. It's like they got the same guy to come back in, and it's just like you know that voice you did before for the elephant. Can you just do the exact opposite? And it's just like the most English, dry, boring. <laughs> voice you could ever like ask for it was just like yeah i think we annoyed a lot of people with that voice before can you just do it completely different and yeah i I kind of wish you know as as stereotypical as that first voice was you can you kind of wish for it again when you hear it because there's just no character behind it at all it's like they they had five minutes to do it and it's like yeah i've got something special for you you're like oh mate cheers cheers for that so they've even removed a lot of his vo out of there because um uh, maybe time time restraints or you know limitations of the hardware. I don't know, but it, they just completely sucked all soul out of Taj, and uh, you just think. Mm. I mean, this is a game uh, that's full of animal caricatures, and you know, there's probably an argument that even Banjo, the sort of inbred redneck stereotype bear, could be offensive to some. Mm. Um, but Taj is an Indian elephant. That is what he is. So just use an Indian person with an Indian accent to voice Taj the elephant. There you go. Problem solved. It's uh, just don't do us kind of yeah a seventies sitcom version of you know mind your language Taj Taj the elephant. But um, there he is. I did actually think he was. Um, 
apart from the dubiousness of his accent, I, uh, I thought he was actually quite a, a, li- a likable character compared to yeah. some of the actual racers in the game. Mm. He was always there, you know, he'd helped you out, he changed your vehicle for you, he gave you stuff. Um, yeah, and you got to race him on his um, on his magic carpet at a couple of points as well, yeah. around the around the hub world. Yeah, and his challenges. Uh, yeah, well, when you finish certain areas, he'll say, you know, I've got you know, I've got something special for you. Come outside into the area. Don't do the voice. Don't no, do the voice. No, it was very tough to resist <laughs> that. But yeah, um, and yeah, he challenged you to um, overworld, over, well, overworld hub type uh, challenge where you went near the flags. I think if you strayed too far away from the flags, you had to start again, which is a bit of a chore because you think oh, I'm going to take a shortcut now and then you, you cut the grass or you don't cut the grass you yeah, cut yeah. across the grass and you fail the challenge you're like yeah yeah oh, oh, oh. so yeah kind of punish you for being a bit you know uh, you know well what you do in racing games you try and cheat as much as you can while getting away with it and uh, they, sort of, <laughs> they sort of punish you for it anyway um <laughs> Yes, you've just made me realise why uh, when I was playing Forza Horizon 2 recently, I was getting unduly worried about sh- the shortcuts I was taking off-road to get round all the, the pack of cars. It will punish you in that game if you take a really wide berth, yeah. but then you're probably doing yourself a disservice. But actually, a lot of the time, you can cut out kind of corners yeah. of the track by just going across the fields. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, and in, in the DS version, uh, Taj, Taj he, um, he has like a... a uh, he has so many things for you to do that just feel like um, you know they've over egged the pudding catchphrase um, you know there are upgrades you can do to your car he's got a gene he's got like a, a magic lamp that you can rub there's a lot of touch screen integration with this game because it's a DS game you have to shoot on it in wherever you can and they've, they've changed the secret balloons for better or for worse but yeah um, yeah I, I don't like what they did to the elephant in the DS version uh, on all fronts there's, there's, um, there's not enough character and too much to do with him, I guess it was just like I don't need to upgrade my go kart. You know what I mean? I don't need to have uh, unlockable stuff, more unlockable stuff, I should say. It's just like just, just let it be, let it be. Taj is playable though, isn't he? In the he is DS a playable version? character, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Speaking of unlockable playable characters, uh, back to Drumstick. Then I recall um, he was sort of kept a secret throughout most of the game. There's a there's a pool of frogs in the hub world. Mm. Uh, as I recall, um, just hopping about in the sort of in the way that again at this point in gaming, incidental detail like this was really something to behold. You know, really like so the graphics aren't just the ones we need to play the game. You know, there's like there's in a 3D environment. I mean, uh-huh. um, you know, there was there was stuff going on, and one of the one of the frogs had a like a like a comb, like a cockerel's comb. Um, yeah. But I can't remember what the process was beyond this to turn him into the uh, the rooster racer don't you have to you have to run him you have to squash him and beep your horn he was already unlocked on this recent playthrough so I can't tell you for sure but yeah he's yeah. definitely there I think you have to squish him and beep your horn and uh, he becomes a, yeah he unlocks as a playable character yeah and he's yeah the fastest but the hardest to, mm. to steer um, TT challenges are a huge part of this race, and I actually, the, um, you know, because I'd got to the stage of being really good at this game, completing it, um, I actually went back and, you know, just raced the tracks all again, setting TT times, um, and then, and that's how you unlock TT, I think, isn't it? You you beat all the TT ghosts on the yes, tracks. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then of course, once you've got TT unlocked, uh, you go and do it all again with your TT and set the fastest possible time. But TT again. Along with the zippers, uh, as I recall, is the kind of uh, the game-winning key, especially on the platinum. Can you play? It? Am I right in the? I did play it as TT, didn't I? He's not unplayable in the, in the in the adventure game, is he? No, yeah, you can play it once you've got him. He's there in the roster at the start. You That's can pick what. Him yeah, you want. yeah, yeah. 
yeah he's got his own little tune and everything yeah um he has the top speed of drumstick and then some but the handling of one of the lighter characters so um yeah he's, yeah, a mon- he's, he's a devastating yeah but i do recall again i mean talking about the silver coin challenges being being hard i remember some of tt's ghosts giving me giving me some jip oh yeah um but certainly, again, the the use of um, the understanding of the boost and the smoke trail uh, certainly helped that. But if it further added to the adventure of the game and the fact that time trial was even a thing worth bothering with, you know, that's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's rare even now that um, it's rare. It's, it's rare even now that you see a time trial mode being implemented into the main game, even if it's just for an unlockable character. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, um, I guess, more serious racing games now obviously just have sort of constant updates and information about your times compared to your friends and uh, Forza games and things like that. But, um, I mean, Mario Kart 8 massively fumbled the ball in that regard by not Mm. even having friends leaderboards for time trial times. (sighs) Um, I was really looking forward to... Because I've always always time trialed these games. I'm actually more into time trialing kart games than I am proper racing games. I don't know why, I I just get on with them better. So I was really looking forward to having on proper online leaderboards for friends on Mario Kart on a version of Mario Kart that loads of people I know would have and it's and it's not there and obviously you know we didn't have this in Diddy Kong because it was just one kart there was no online but yeah that that integration again just made time trialing something that you had to do to and you had to get good at it and then that made you actually appreciate the the course design the handling mm and want to get even better times even if it was just to have your name like five times on the leaderboard or whatever it was or three times i can't remember so you've battled through uh snow and jungle and dino canyons and uh lagoons and goodness knows beaches. what else beaches pirate ships mm. all sorts of stuff uh and and space itself before you come to uh race the evil whiz pig um who is Whizpig? Why is Whizpig? <laughs> I have no idea to this day. <laughs> well, before you get to the Spaceland, you you, f- you face Whizpig by um, getting the Whizpig amulet, which is um, yes. You have to do all the tro- the trophy challenges. There's there's so many challenges to this game. Like you, yeah. you you win a race, you get the silver coin challenge. You then beat the boss. No, you beat the boss. You then get the silver coin challenge, and then he says try the trophy challenge, which is a Grand Prix of all four races put together in a very Mario Kart esque. Yes, yeah. You know, and then you get that, and then you get a part of the amulet, which then fills in Wiz Pig's face from rock into sort of flesh, and then his face wakes up in the in the overworld, and you fly into his mouth, and that's where you play the first of the uh, the yeah. two horrible, abusive uh, boss fights. <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, like Wiz Pig is a. He's a he's a well, he's a gigantic alien pig. He's just, he's just ridiculously oversized, and it kind of feels a bit too evil for the series. Maybe he's just he's, he's very he's quite nasty, isn't he? Yeah, and he because he, he, he's voiced more than any other Nintendo you know baddie at that point. He, he comes along and just like slags everyone off. He's like he's a bit of a bully, and uh, you know uh, like Bowser. All you hear from him is a few words, maybe a, a bit of text here and there. But Wiz Pig is sort yeah, of yeah. He like, calls you all. What is it? He calls you. He keeps calling everybody name, doesn't he? But yeah, I can't no, I can't really remember at the moment. But um, yeah, he's, he's not a nice character. He, fl- he can fly and he can run and he can yeah, he can do all the things that you can do, but but better and and cheatier. Yeah, yeah, cheating is the thing. Uh, mm. Dom's beard from the forum says all I can remember is Diddy Kong Racing being a great game for pad rage as I launched my N64 controller on Wizpig. <laughs> 
It was a decent enough game, but Mario Kart 64 dominated my local co-op nights with friends, and we tried this, but it wasn't, in my opinion, as good as MK64, and seemed difficult in single player, and slightly unbalanced in places. Yeah, um, WizPig, I think a lot of people will have given up at WizPig. Um, I, I, I did uh, the, the final WizPig race anyway, I certainly did the first time. Um, and it was it was upsetting because you'd gone through a, so much stuff to get to this point. Um, you know, you turned a lighthouse into a space rocket and gone to space, and been through all these Grand Prix and challenges and collectibles, and then to not just not be able to beat this cheating, massive mm. rocket flying swine was yeah. just, you know, just yeah. I mean, it's typical of so many games. So many games have that, but it it was it felt like a really unpleasant end to what had been a fairly joyful experience yeah, it's always a shame when you can actually describe something as cheating mm. and then Whispig that was most certainly the case as he was just he was a very cheating enemy yeah absolutely it, it was uh, never it, it was never competitive it was just completely unfair it was fla- it was flagrant about it i mean i think that's you know they painted him as a character who was you know quite happy to cheat um but that doesn't make it f- didn't make it more fun um, and as I say, for me, it took until uh, having sold the cart and rebought it to actually work out what the trick was. But once you have learned the trick and you've got TT and you know about the boosts, it's not just a little bit easier; it's significantly easier. Yeah. Mm. And there's a few other tricks you can do as well. Like um, you can get in front of one of his legs, and he'll sort of push you along if you yeah. ma- if you manage to stay in front of him for long enough. He'll, he'll sort of kick you along beside him. Um, and the thing I noticed with the the bosses in this game, especially Whizpig and um, well, again Forza Horizon 2's uh, events where you race the vehicles other than a car, like the train and the hot air balloons, is that you have to stick it out to the end because there's a scripted motion to him. So like he'll slow like the rhino at the start of the, the first boss. The rhino sort of slows down at the top of the hill, and Whizpig will slow down at certain corners every time. So you kind of have to keep this in mind that you know he may sprint off. Uh, in a cheating way, and it, yeah. but he will slow down on certain corners, or maybe lap two, the, the, you know, seventy-five percent around the course, he will slow down. So you have to take advantage of that, and it's, it is a bit of a trial and error uh, nightmare. But there, there is a, there is a uh, sort of a method to the madness, uh, you know. And you do have to hit all the boot. You have to hit all the boots because, yeah. But beyond each zipper, sorry, there are pools of water which totally knacker your, um, you know, your your momentum and speed. Yeah. So you do have to memorize them all. And uh, the the level, it's got a good theme. Like you know, it's all sort of thundering and lightning, and the, you know, it's a typical Nintendo esque or maybe rare esque uh, baddie confrontation where it's yeah. thunder and lightning. And the you know the rain's pouring and the the music's kicking off, which is playing in my head right now. And uh, yeah, it's just a shame that both Whizpig events are just flagrant cheats. Like he boosts when you, when when it says ready, you know, get ready. He he go, he's gone. And you're like. Yeah. Well, well, come on, that's, you know, it doesn't feel... um... One of the glitches in the game is that you can cheat one of the bosses. They all do that. They all take a head start. Mm. Um, But one of them, is is a walrusy kind of... Yeah. uh, Walrusy dude. If you pause the game um, just before the race starts and then unpause it, he will slow down. um, And so you can actually get a fair start on that one. But but you don't need to if you know the... If you know yeah. the boost trick, I'm really interested, though, Darren. You've worked at Rare. I know it wasn't for years and years and years, and you were, you know, you weren't up there. You weren't in the, um, no. you know, the design meetings or anything like I was, that. I was, in, I was in the slums. You're in the slums, <laughs> but you must have got a sense of, um, uh, and obviously it was after this period as well. But 
any sense of why Rare used to, used to make their games so punishing in certain areas? I mean, it probably even goes back to their Spectrum games to a, to a point. Mm. Their NES games were notoriously difficult as well, the NES. But I'm thinking of things like those later jiggies in Banjo-Kazooie, the things you mentioned from Jet Force Gemini and these famous Whizpig races. What was the philosophy behind making these cute, fun games that were so, you know, just insanely difficult in places yeah I've never really worked out myself like going for like I said earlier GoldenEye AA Agent Aztec it was just it was just a, a major pain in the bottom as is uh, Perfect Dark and Diddy Kong Racing again uh, and even like uh, Grab by the Ghoulies with Baron Von Gaul um, you know I, and I do remember re- reporting bugs about Baron Von Gaul saying you know he's, he's, he's a bit tough and too like, hard <laughs> yeah they're like yeah it's by design deal with it and you're like oh, okay and then uh, you know you, you will you know you'll play it again and again and again and again and you'll you will find some compromise with the development team but there was never really a clear cut a clear cut um, plan as to why their games were just you know demonically hard at the end i think it was just kind of like i guess it's about confidence that what you're making is so good so much fun yeah. that people will persist and obviously in the case of Banjo-Kazooie and Diddy Kong Racing I did I didn't give up ultimately where I would have given up in other developers games mm. because I knew that what I was playing was of such high quality and because I'd had such fun getting there um, and they know you know you know, you, you only have to go on YouTube or, or, or any of the sort of high score resources for games that somebody somebody out there normally lots of people will have absolutely destroyed every game that you you can play even the games that you think are the most mm. disgracefully difficult you know um what you mean like trying to complete dark souls with a guitar yeah dark souls <laughs> with a guitar exactly or yeah um iron man runs on various games yeah i mean we've yeah. um i suppose there there are always people out there for that but it just seems like if you pick up a, an n64 car you know back in the 90s consoles were still slightly more seen as for for younger folk than they are now it had cutesy characters on the front and i know kids can you know sometimes be the best at games but it always felt to me just like who is really i mean jet force gemini beat me i mean that one was just i just like i i loved i wanted to love that game and i I loved (laughs) the i loved the you know the sort of setting and the graphics and apart from the characters are a bit but we're not doing that game um but it was just I can't I can't do this it's yeah. too hard. I guess ultimately Rare also became known for doing hard games and then you get caught in that mm. thing where your next game's got to be hard as well because all the other ones are and we're known for doing hard games yeah. and it just sort of snowballs so every game becomes mm. equally as ridiculously tough by design because the previous one was I wonder mm. if there's a hangover of um, philosophy from the ultimate play the game days where games were sort of maybe made harder to prolong their life uh, you know oh, yeah. a, an arcade mm, sort yeah. of ethic you know make the game harder to put more quarters in maybe or quarters you know 10 P's in well maybe. yeah it was more with obviously uh, Ultimate didn't have a, an arcade background no. although I think some of their earliest releases had a you know as, as virtually you know most early Spectrum games had some influence from the arcade but when they were making their, their absolute 8-bit classics like Night Law and things like that mm. it was my friends who were playing them at the time and completing them uh, I didn't have a Spectrum and they were saying you know god this is really hard and it was actually that it was their games rares ultimates ultimates games were unusual at this point in that they people were completing them because generally when you bought computer games at this point you just didn't finish them because they were either unfinished themselves or they were broken or they were too hard or 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 something whereas 
Ultimates games were tough, but they had an end and they had a goal and they were that good and that spectacular mm. to look at that people were willing to jump through the hoops to get to to the end game. Mm. So yeah, it it might be it might be as deep rooted as that. And obviously it's now irrelevant to stuff like Kinect Sports pretty much. Although I suppose I don't know, I'm talking out my hat not having played those. Maybe they've got some insanely difficult challenges on, on those games. I don't know, but yeah, nuts and bolts is pretty tough as well. Like near yeah, the end, yeah. it does get pretty ridiculous. So you know, it's, it's still is there some somehow, some way. Yeah. Even though the DNA of of rare has has changed, it'd be interesting to see what the uh, whichever of the stampers it is who's just set up a new studio. Whether, yes, whether his games will be, uh, <laughs> mm. what sort of games they'll be. So we should look uh, at the legacy of Diddy Kong Racing, um, and I think it's fair to say the legacy is kind of disappointing <laughs> because I don't think as much as I like I like a lot of the Mario Kart games I like the Sumo Sonic games the Sumo Sonic games have a little elements of what made Diddy Kong stand out so much with its adventure but nothing like as fleshed out there haven't really been games of this mould made again am mm. I wrong? Uh, I th- Crash Team Racing yeah yeah, uh, that game is really good uh, but otherwise yeah they're all pretty much just sort of bog standard affairs aren't they? I mean, there have been, I mean, again, thinking about Forza Horizons, obviously very contemporary. That game has a big hub, as did Test Drive Unlimited, and you can go around and there are secrets to find. Um, but it's not its not a cutesy fantasy land. It's a very pretty piece of, of Europe, but it's not, it doesn't have that same sort of, oh, I'm going into a magic tunnel and I might come out in a in a sparkly snow area, you know. So that, that sense of adventure, <laughs> that sense of exploration. Yeah, yeah. Even, um, even Banjo mm. Pilot and Diddy Kong, you know, or previously known as Diddy Kong Pilot, the, the yeah. official sequel at the yeah. time, that hasn't even got an overworld hub either. It's just kind of, just, you know, level-based, menu-based uh, racing. Yeah, that was our next topic. Diddy Kong Pilot, which we mentioned... Um, or yeah, Banjo Pilot. Um, we we talked about it a little on the Banjo Kazooie issue of the podcast mm. um, in terms of that, but uh, to mention it again now. Um, so it was going to be the sequel to Diddy Kong Racing for the Game Boy Advance, um, but basically the story goes Nintendo didn't think it was good enough. Mm. Um, uh, but it could be political because again we're at the point here in the early two thousands when Rare were already heading Microsoft Woods. Well, that was the talk, as apparently there was a Donkey Kong racing was also in development. Yeah, and well, that, yeah. Microsoft bought them, and that was it. Yeah, the, the trailer died. was revealed at um, E3 at one point. The GameCube trailer was, you know, shown yeah. with the the Star Wars spoof where they're on the wasps and they're flying through the, the, the woods and stuff. So yeah, there were plans to make you yeah. know, sequels, spin-offs, I guess. Donkey Kong if racing only. came, uh, yeah, was yeah uh, had a big old CGI reveal, as you said. Yeah, which uh, ultimately turned into a game that I've only just recently seen in in action, yeah. uh, Saberman yeah. Stampede, which you know evolved into a, a, a crazy. Which would have been for the Xbox, presumably. Xbox 360, yeah. Oh, 360. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the right. footage online, uh, you know, unseen64.net again. You know, that's, yes. a, that's a 360 game, uh, very early, and you know, unfinished. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, did, did you know gaming? Um, also. Uh, good video series on YouTube Donkey mm. Kong Part 3 uh, shows this footage and also um, I mean Save Man Stampede obviously Save Man using another classic Ultimate character um, kind of morphed from Donkey Kong Racing you know a, a, an adventure kart game into a sort of free roaming open world game on the backs of animals where mm. I think the, the the concept ended up being GTA with animals basically GTA yeah. in a jungle a like um, a GTA Jambo Safari you know yeah yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> that sounds really cool. But it they has, said it? they said they hadn't, um, you know, they hadn't really found they it hadn't found its its hook. It yeah. didn't have a hook. It had a it had a concept, but no hook. And I think that's I think most games that you hear of that end up getting canned at that sort of stage are like, yeah, that's really cool, but why am I playing it? You know, what is what is there to what what do I want to do with it? I feel like that's that goes for a lot of rare games made in that era of the 360s. Like they had Perfect Dark Core, which is like a, a sequel to Perfect Dark. It's just like we got this game, but why? What's it doing? Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it never sees the light of day other than a few anonymous leak videos. And same as Save Man Stampede, and you know, probably other uh, you know loads of other games that we'll never really see, which is a shame. Astro Mouse was another rare one that got canned mm. that had Pipsy in it. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Pipsy, Pipsy is a lead. Character. Can you imagine a Can you imagine a full game with that voice? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, the one that attracted my attention at the time, uh, I was very hopeful for, um, but I gather it didn't turn out so well. In the end, I never played it. Uh, in the year two thousand, uh, Mickey's Speedway USA. Never played it. Haven't you? No. I assumed you. I assumed you would have done. Yeah, as a as a rare rabid fanboy. It was just yeah. like I think it was late in the N sixty four. No, it wasn't late, was it? it was yeah, two thousand, late two thousand, early two thousand one. We're talking conquer Paper Mario territory here. Guess so, yeah. Towards the end, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems weird when you say like four or five years is late, but yeah, it was. Yeah, and it was just like it was a lot of money for for a game. I wasn't it, uh, the license wasn't particularly exciting for me at the time either. It's just like oh, a Mickey game. You know, it looked like it should have been a Diddy Kong Racing sequel. That's exactly. It. That's why I've included it in yeah. this mm. because that's what I was hoping for now uh, there's been you know there have been some uh, Disney games even though I'm not like a huge fan of Mickey and Donald we talked about the Mega Drive trilogy which I adore um, and there have been other sort of Disney themed games which I've which I've enjoyed Mm. Um, so the thought of a Mickey themed Diddy Kong racing was like yeah, I could, I could, I could get into that. But then the reviews came out, and they were so tepid. Mm. That, um, I mean, they, you know, they were positive by and large. It was a, it was a game that scored sort of seventies and eighties, rather than nineties. So that that made me suspicious in itself that it was so much lower than than Diddy Kong. Carl, did you ever get your hands on this at all? No, but that uh, it's primarily because Mickey's a very hard sell for me. Yeah. Um, it's. I don't have anything against Disney. I've played some brilliant Disney games, but none of the ones that I've really truly loved, bar Castle of Illusion, yeah, yeah, yeah. has ever has ever done it for me with Mickey. You know, the the, the latest ones um, on the previous generation, absolutely nothing, and that's totally my kind of game. So, for that reason alone, I I just sort of ignored it, and it was it came at that really awkward period, didn't it, where. Um, you know the Xbox was coming in, and Dreamcast and was there. The Dreamcast was there, yeah. and you didn't know what was what to get. And every machine sort of had its own sort of games, and it was it wasn't so focused like it was in '97, where it, like the N64 games were an easy pick. That you know the Saturn had been out two years or three years um, in in uh, Japan, and you know the play, PlayStation the same. So it was that was at that period. That was just such a mess of a time for me that I just intentionally left it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I did as well, and I don't think um, I don't think it had anything like the scope of Diddy Kong Racing, which is probably the the reason it reviewed uh, less well because it was you know a multiplayer and battle mode and Grand Prix game with with characters. Um, I think it was you know, it was probably much closer. I, I have no idea. We can't talk about how it 
felt to play because we haven't played it. Um, I, I think I was just a bit bitter and selfish that it was a licensed game by Rare because they've made such yeah. great character-driven, you know, their own characters since, you know, before then. True. And they did make like, absolutely tons of licensed games. Oh on yeah. Yes, though. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. that <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely old King Griffey baseball, but. Um, yeah, it's just like, oh, did you really need to use Mickey? Like, you know, he's, he's a great character. Obviously, he's he's you know he's world known. He's he's massive. But it's just like, is there really any need? And I I, I don't know. I guess I was just a bit angsty, a bit selfish. Well, that's it. They weren't exactly shot on great characters. They weren't exactly shot on awful characters because they filled most of the awful ones in the Diddy Kong Racing, and we still loved that. It's just it when it's Mickey and it's Disney, it just didn't feel like it belonged to Rare anymore. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyone who uh, anyone who did play Mickey Speedway USA, particularly anyone who loved that game, I would love to hear from you. Mm. Uh, I'm going to play it one day. I'm going to play it one day, definitely. Just yeah. cause, just to fill the gap, you know, just to fill the void. Because that's quite cool in screenshots. You know, mm. it looks like. But you know, obviously, compared to the visual splendor of Mario Kart 8 side by side, it's probably not going to look <laughs> quite so good. Um, which brings us back to. Diddy Kong Racing DS 2007. We talked, mentioned it a few times. I've never played this one. Um, most of the uh, comments about it have been highly negative. As I say, it reviewed quite mediocrely, if that's the word. Um, and But when it was announced, I was thinking, that should work. N64 games on the DS work. Um, so what's the problem? Why do people dislike it so much? From what I played briefly, it's, you know, it's all there as a game. But um, they had too many finicky fidgety moments like the the, the starting grid has yeah. a, a, a rubbing motion on the oh. on the tire or the whatever and you have to blow into the microphone to get your hovercraft oh. going oh, it's God. just like why is there any need to do this kind of guff to help you know enhanced in quotes the um the experience and it's just they can't it, have been un- under any pressure at, at that point from Nintendo because, like, obviously, when the early Nintendo DS games, they were probably under some pressure to use the features, right? Mm, yeah. But this was this was rare for a start, and this was 2007. So we, I thought we were past that period where you needed to stick pointless <laughs> um, scrubbing or, or blowing into into your game. Yeah, it's never a good idea on anything ever. It's you know, it's the Vita was plagued with it at launch. Yeah. Connect had all those Connect games where you had to be able to do something movement-wise, and when you just use them all in, in small amounts that are very focused, you always get a better game. So, I mean, I didn't pick it up anyway because for the same reason that I said on the uh, Star Fox show, I bought Mario sixty-four on the DS and I just didn't get on with it so I've intentionally ignored the other ones that have come to that system hmm. but yeah other, other changes to Diddy Kong Racing DS uh, they've stripped out the, the Microsoft well the rare characters so Banjo uh, Conker but they've left Tipped Up in there which is officially a Banjo character well yeah. he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Banjo character because you end up smacking him in the back a few times in um, Bubble Gloop Swamp in Banjo-Kazooie yeah. you know, there's a family of Tipped Ups in both games so that's, 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 how, that's how forgettable they are. They just left them in there and no one cared. Tip tops in it. Yeah, he's like, oh, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. It's not worth a lawsuit. Never mind. But, like, how. I mean, I guess another key factor is that the N64 game played on the famous N64 three pronged analog, whereas mm. the DS version presumably was D pad. So that's going to change the fundamentally change the feel of the game. Yeah, yeah, it does sort of um, hamper the. You know the 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 boosting and the uh, what would you call it the 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 hard turning that we mentioned earlier. Yeah. And yeah, you know it does. It all has a an effect on the overall gameplay. 
Um, for me, it was just the overwhelming amount of things to collect, and I, you know, I'm I'm partial to my collectibles. Yeah, but mm. when when they seem, um, you know, arbitrary, uh, you, you kind of get overwhelmed with it all, and you're just like, ah, oh. you know, they they added new tracks as well. They added new tracks to the game, and uh, instead of doing the so to make your TT amulet in the 64 version, you have to play the the multiplayer arenas in single player, which isn't great. But in here, they added a new kind of challenge where you end up doing like proper races to get the TT amulet. I think you have, I think you have to race TT, kind of like the, the time trial mode that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So it's it's more, uh, you know, it's more like in in line with the actual um, the law, I guess, of the game. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Diddy Kong law. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of changes. It's it's, it's too many to uh, go through here, but um, I suppose yeah. it's no, notable in the sense, if nothing else, that it was rare making a Nintendo uh, branded game. Yeah. Some some years after uh, they they'd split. Now let us hear from our wonderful community who have uh, posted at canarince.com slash forum on this occasion, starting 
with Darren and the post that is from a new poster, Dylan. Hmm. Yeah, so Dylan says, I never had an N64, but there was one at my uh, after-school care. They only had a handful of games, and the one we most commonly played was Diddy Kong Racing. It was my first kart racing game, and I didn't even know Mario Kart existed at this point. <laughs> I found the, the hub world uh, super fun to hang out in, and enjoyed the variety of race types. We played the arena mode more than the races, though. Mm, controversial. Diddy Kong Racing has always been one of the games I remember from my childhood with fondness, even if my memories aren't as clear as with other games. Earlier this year, I spontaneously bought the DS remake and found it really unpleasant. The handling of, of all the vehicles felt unwieldy, and the water sections were almost completely unbearable. Mm. I never finished the first race in the level with the logs in the river, and I haven't played it since. I still look back at those memories fondly. Driving past the dinosaur and through the windmill is firmly imprinted in my brain, but I can't say I'll ever play the game again. Yeah, echoes a few of the uh, things we've said there. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for signing up and mm. posting. Carl and Kiss Mammal. Kiss Mammal said, I remember this period of the N64 very fondly. The general consensus these days seems to be that the system suffered from a chronic dearth of software, but for me, quality almost always outweighed the quantity, or lack thereof, and between Rare and Nintendo there was always something decent to play or look forward to. But despite Rare making some of my favourite games for the system with Banjo-Kazooie, GoldenEye 64 and Blast Core, I could never really love Diddy Kong Racing. I was intrigued by the concept of the game, a single-player focused take on the cartoony racing and combat genre, blended with that magic hub-world-based 3D adventuring formula so common on the N64, but sadly my happy memories of playing the game's wintry stages in the run-up to Christmas 97 are spoiled somewhat by the punishing difficulty of the latter stages. Of course, spiteful difficulty spikes were par for the course with rare games, part of the appeal even. But this was on another level entirely, and suggests to me now a lack of playtesting. It's been a long time since I played the game, but I seem to remember that once you had conquered a set of levels, you would then have to replay them, only this time you would have to collect a set of coins whilst you did so. It seemed to me a rather mean-spirited game design choice and a little bit of a slap in the face of the player, implemented primarily to artificially extend the game's lifespan. But still I persevered, until eventually reaching an octopus boss battle. I'm a little ashamed to admit that I can remember this hateful tentacled bastard bringing me almost to the point of actual tears of frustration, and led to me quitting, wiping the cartridge memory, and taking it into town to trade in a fit of anger, and I never looked back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's quite a rage. That's a good rage quit, yeah. I mean, um, that's a shame because uh, uh, Kiss Man will missed out on some you know, some excellent chunks of Diddy Kong racing there, but, but yeah, I mean, that just goes to show we were saying, you know, well, people will persevere, some people won't, and uh, and that's entirely, entirely their prerogative. Woodfella says, I love this game. I was about four or five when it came out and I got it on a special occasion, a Christmas or birthday or something. It's brilliant, although I accept a lot of my feelings towards it may be tinted by nostalgia. A year or so ago now, we reacquired an N64 and me and my brother played co-op adventure mode and it's still an absolute smasher. Fast and frantic and fun with lots of little tricks to get round as fast as possible. The music is totally brilliant too, as you'd expect from Rare. We had loads of fun with it, and I wondered how I ever managed to progress at all being so young, because it is quite a hard game, especially them dirty, cheating bosses. Marginally racist elephants aside, I love this game a lot. One of my favourite ever racers. Hayes Red Mist says, Good God, I love this. I have lovely memories of playing this around the Christmas holidays, and it just evoked a sheer happiness only a good Nintendo game can offer. 
Okay, it was made by Rare, but at the time, this, that was as close to first party without being classed as such as any dev would ever get at Nintendo. You just don't get games like this elsewhere. The structure of the hub world, track variety in design, love the dinosaur one, amount of secrets to discover were revelatory for games like this, and while the difficulty scaled quite viciously later in the game, it deserves every bit of its success. The DS conversion was a bit lacking, but it was still nice to revisit some of the magic. Thanks everybody. And also thanks to our three word reviewers from Twitter. Follow us at Kane and Rince. David Turner says, I'm tip top. Yeah, so we pointed out to him that there is no tip top in this game. <laughs> there is a tip top, and that meant that he'd given us a two word review, unless it was I am tip top. So he came <laughs> back with the brilliant. A good game. Thank, thanks, David. <laughs> thanks for that. Podcast gold. Dan Clark said, beaten by Bandicoot. Yeah, so Crash Team Racing, uh, we're not doing it on this podcast. I've barely ever played it, but I do remember, I do remember um, some PlayStation stalwarts uh, who I worked with at the time um, were absolutely mad on Crash Team Racing. They were, you know. It's really good. Yeah. So um, I have it on my Vita um, as a, a, you know, PS1 original. So um, could still happen someday. Uh, Woodfella says, I despise Whizpig. Hmm. And Ruben Cornell, Silicon Carnage. It's very good. It finish <laughs> finish <laughs> on a strong pun. Thank you, Ruben. <laughs> now, uh, our summarizations. Um, tricky one, this one to summarize, um, because uh, I haven't played it for 15 years. Um, so I can't really say, should should one play it today? So what I want to focus on instead is saying that firstly I really really loved this game Uh, I didn't always love it all the way through because sometimes it was driving me insane but I have enormous fond memories Um, when this game was you know state of the art quality um, it felt so big and rich and full of interesting stuff to do and even though the characters were kind of horrific that was kind of part of the game's charm in a way that it was kind of a bit naff as well diddy kong was a bit naff timber <laughs> was a bit weird pipsy was just awful you know it's just i just didn't care um so much fun exploring that hub world and breaking off into the the many races seeing what would come next those christmasy levels so christmasy still um and obviously since 1997 I guess I've mostly played um, as I say I haven't properly played Crash Team Racing so I've mostly played Mario Kart sequels enjoyed them you know to greater or lesser extent depending on uh, my experiences with with them what Nintendo did and how much multiplayer I got out of them normally Um, and I've also enjoyed both of Sumo's Sega themed kart racers but what's lacking in those games as much as Mario Kart is enormous fun we we have really successful game nights of it in multiplayer um, with the Kane and Rince community um, and uh, particularly the second Sonic uh, Racer Transformed is uh, spectacular you know in a lot of ways and, and as a you know as a long term video game fan playing uh, playing in levels dedicated to you know golden axe and and whatever else and playing with Shenmue characters and stuff is is a blast it's really a lot of fun but I really think that there's room for a adventure kart racer game mm. like this one and we haven't had one for such a long time but imagine a really beautiful lush 
cartoony fantasy world rendered in you know on on the Wii U or on the PlayStation 4 mm. or the Xbox One um with a similar a similar uh focus to this a similar philosophy where the racing ha- the racing would still have to be uh sharp and tight and good and the courses would have to be good it couldn't just be it couldn't just be you know slap loads of figure of eight or circular tracks in there and um and link it up with collecting some stuff but the the sort of the intricate nature of Diddy Kong racing and how it all everything leads into everything else and you're fetching keys from a course to to open a door back out on the map and you're collecting trophies to open up another area and then you're going you're riding on a hovercraft in the sea and it's it's all warm and sunny and exotic and then the next race you're in you're in sort of Christmas town and all that I like it would be difficult I get to just not retread it but something that captured that idea the the vehicle adventure game that that is uh, cute and warm and charming I'd like somebody to I don't know who I don't know which developer it would be but I'd like somebody to attempt something like it mm. um, but I would probably not recommend going back to play Diddy Kong Racing um, I can't say either way on the DS version but not many people seem to really like it so if you've still got an N64 why not crack it out at Christmas anyway but mm. I probably wouldn't go out of your way to source a copy in a console to play it at this point Darren yeah um, I feel like I'm always a bit sort of biased or biased you know when it comes to N64 rare games because I'm always massively in favour of you know, for, you know in, a, in a nostalgic term and you know this game is really hard in places it is it is pad throwingly annoying as much as it is you know fist punchingly exciting at times you know it, it swings both ways um, but I did really enjoy playing it again and again I can't really say if it's a, it is it is a good game to play but I don't know if how much of that was tainted by nostalgia. I think it was just like... Because I haven't really played it properly like that since, you know, the, the first time I went through it. It was never... I never replayed it over and over again like I did with Banjo-Kazooie. It was like... It was mm. a one and done. And I sort of played up to the snow levels and sort of went, Oh yeah, the snow level, the snow music's really good and turned it off. Uh, but this time I went all the way through, you know, for the Adventure 1. I didn't do Adventure 2. Um, but I, I, again, again, I, again, yeah, again, I really enjoyed it though. And... Um, like you said, there is a scope for another open-worldy uh, kart game, and as, as close as Sonic transformed to, you know, got, it, you know, it never really hit that, hit that high. Uh, it's still just a, menus, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. the thing. You, there, there's a sense of some kind of adventure, but you're not, you're not exploring anything other than menus outside of the racing. And you know, the rumours of Retro Studios doing Donkey Kong Racing um, is, you know, they're, they're floating around, and they've been floating around for years now, and I'm. I'm fairly certain, I'm fairly positive, or I'm hopeful that um, you know those rumours are, you know, filled with some sort of truth. So hopefully we'll see Retro Studios do something different with the Donkey Kong license. Yeah, um, don't go out your way and buy a copy of this because it's still a bit pricey, you know, as N64 cartridges are. But if you've got it in your um, in your basement or loft or cellar or whatever attic, whatever word you want to use, dig it out and play to uh, play up to uh, Everfrost Peak and listen to the music and. Especially on Christmas, and just just yeah, just listen to that music, or just go to YouTube and listen to the music. But yeah, <laughs> I I really liked it again, um, and I uh, I do think there is a uh, room for a sequel. A sequel, oh, interesting. Uh, and Carl, you haven't been back either, but uh, but that's cool. Just sum up your thoughts anyway. Yeah, it's it's again. I would coming into this podcast, I thought I would describe it as a game of its time, but the more I think about it, I think that's just not true at all because. When I originally played it, 
I played it in single player as a kart racer and it didn't click with me. So obviously I have issues with kart racers and my fun came from playing it in co-op with a friend and changing the way we went about it and those memories will you know stay with me for for as long as at least I ever say in mind um and for that I'll always love this game um Leon absolutely nailed it with the adventure kart racer there's there's a space for an adventure racer out there I adore a great hub world um in a game and that's originally, I think, what eventually clicked for me in this game was the the finding the balloons, finding the collectibles, going around and doing these crazy things. And I've I've always loved the, the hub worlds in games. Uh, from Mario sixty four did a great one, Pilot Wings, where you could just fly around mm. and you know you'd find all the Easter eggs, which was obviously completely magical. So six months before this one, um, and you know. You, this was always the hub world that I remember the most and whenever I think back about this game I don't think back about the tracks which were great I don't think back about the characters which weren't Mm -hmm. great Um, I always think back about just cruising around in the hub world or playing it in court with a friend and those are very specific to me and for that reason I couldn't really recommend someone go out and play it I intentionally didn't play it because as I said after watching Darren's quick rinse I realised that it just wasn't for me and it would taint perhaps potentially taint my memories of what I remember being so special mm. um, you know the, those those days where you, you'd, you'd find the key hidden on the track and you'd so you'd turn around and you'd try and replicate the route that you think maybe you had to take to go and get there or, or just the, the daft fun of turning 180 with a friend and taking out all the AI and just all the daft stuff that wasn't really you know the way I would imagine it was intended to be played and I think that's why all the kart races since haven't clicked with me I mean I understand why people love Mario Kart 8 it looks beautiful it runs brilliantly it has the online and that that's all well and good. I actually bought another Wii U for Mario Kart 8 because I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to have the online leaderboards, which obviously we know it doesn't have. Mm. And, you know, we've played the Sumo Sonic Racing and it looks stunning. It's great. It's the perhaps conceptually the closest we've got to Diddy Kong Racing, but yeah, it didn't click because the tracks didn't feel so special to mm. me. And we're talking 17 years on from this game's release... And nothing has come close to matching it. And I think it is because I've always looked at kart racers as trying to be like this. And that's not the case. This was technically a kart racer, but it was more of an adventure racer. And for that, I'll always love it. But I just cannot recommend it based on what my memories of it are. You know, it. it I loved it at the time people may not love it for the same reasons and I can't recommend it as a car racer because I just fundamentally don't enjoy car racers but I love this game <laughs> fair enough uh, indeed yes so uh, well Crash Team Racing uh, if it's not on the big list of games that we should cover someday then uh, maybe it ought to be um, but yeah really uh, and that was whatever year that was 99 um, I'm guessing mm. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, so, that's, uh, yeah. If that was the last um, sort of adventurey kart racer, surely it wasn't. There may there may be others. Let us know um, if we've forgotten something obvious. But nothing's quite Diddy Kong Racing in that regard. Anyway, 
just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Darren and Carl and to tell you that next time in issue 157, from sleeper hit to mini phenomenon by way of a few million diminutive plastic effigies, it's Skylanders. Bye-bye. Thank you.